Uh, hopefully you all will understand you should spend quality time with God every day. As Jennifer was sharing with us a few minutes ago, how important it is to open up our Bibles daily and spend a few moments in prayer. But it's also good and beneficial to, on occasion, make extra time alone with God. Uh, above and beyond our normal daily quiet time to, to spend extended periods of time alone with God in silence and solitude. And my prayer is as we look at the life of Jesus today and his example, you will understand the importance of getting away periodically to spend extended time with God. There are benefits to this, tremendous benefits to spending extended time alone with God periodically. And let me invite you to open your Bible, Mark chapter 1. Stand with me as we look together at verse 32. Mark writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out. The demons. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this time that you have provided for us to open your word. We pray, God, open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, open our hearts to embrace and live it out. And God, by your grace, may we be transformed to the image of your Son through the power of your word. May salvation come to anyone today who is in need of it. Uh, Father, may sanctification come to all of us who are in Christ as you make us more and more like your son Jesus. In his name we do pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This passage of Scripture we're looking at today, Mark records for us at the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. In chapter 1, Mark records for us his busyness. You know, Jesus wasn't lazy. He was busy. He is busy preaching, and he is healing, and casting out demons, and he is teaching uh, the kingdom of God, and he is doing all of this to great success. Large crowds are gathering. But then Jesus does something that appears counterintuitive from an earthly perspective. As, as things are going well, if, if, it, if it ain't broke, then what? Don't fix it. It seems like everything is going the way from an earthly standpoint that it should, but then Jesus goes on a retreat. When we hear the word retreat, it sounds like losing. You're in a battle, you would not retreat from the battle unless you were losing, right? If you were winning, you would keep fighting. Retreat sounds like losing. It sounds like sounds like weakness, does it not? But in actuality, a retreat is pulling back for the purpose of regrouping and gaining strength so that you may re-engage the battle and press on to victory. 
So a retreat is not losing. A retreat is not weakness. In fact, retreating is for the purpose, again, of gaining strength for the battle that still lies ahead. And so what are the benefits to this? What Jesus did retreating for the glory of God, what was the benefits that I found in in doing just this on my sabbatical? What are the benefits for you as a Christian to periodically retreat and be alone with God for extended periods of time? Well, the first of, of these benefits is physical recuperation. Physical recuperation. The importance of rest. Uh, the Bible ordains work. If you read into it, not very far, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, we see work is ordained by God for us to be involved in. But rest is also ordained by God for a reason, because we are wired in such a way that we need to recharge periodically and that is the will of God the very concept of Sabbath one of the Ten Commandments remember the Sabbath remember the day of rest and keep it holy and so as Jesus does this and sets an example for us as we minister and as we serve others it's important for us to remember the benefits of physical recuperation as Jesus was involved in ministry we see first of all his compassionate availability As we seek to follow in his steps, we want to be available in a compassionate way to others who are in need of help. In verse 32, it says, When evening came and the sun had set, we had just seen Jesus healing and preaching and teaching, and when the sun is going down, normally in a time of, uh, we would think, rest, and to pull back, Jesus continues to engage the needs of others. They began bringing, literally they kept bringing like waves upon waves of those who were ill, those who were demon-possessed, and they had needs to be met. In reality, personal needs are not always the most convenient thing. The needs of others for us to be involved in helping them, it's not always convenient with our time schedules. The needs were there. Jesus saw the needs. Jesus continued to meet those needs. And as we serve others, that is our mindset. And as as a minister, as a pastor, you're you're truly on call 24-7. Because you never know. I've been awakened in the middle of the night by phone calls of individuals who had loved ones pass away or other emergencies. And and you want to be available to to them. You want to have the right words. You want to be able to be there, to be a comforting presence. And I share all this with you not to drum up sympathy and say, well, woe is me, but to give you an understanding, just a, a bit of, a, a, of, a, of an idea of what it is like to be devoted to serving and helping others. And here is Jesus. It says the whole city, verse 33, he was, he was indiscriminate. If people had needs, there were those who were close to him. But there were others on the outside. So think about as a pastor serving the church and how there are needs within our congregation, but also there are those outside of our church family who sometimes come to me with needs. And to be available to them sometimes will wear you down. But also we see the compassionate activity of Jesus. Verse 34 is activity. He healed many who were ill and, uh, with various diseases and cast out many demons. And Jesus is doing this. He is serving. He is active because he cares. Jesus cared for those folks. He was was heartbroken that their hearts were broken. 
And he was there so that he would be active and serve them and meet those needs. And oftentimes, meeting physical needs will open the door to meeting the greatest need that we all have, our spiritual need. Serving others is not the end of itself. We serve others so that we might begin to witness to others and share the gospel. If we truly care about people, we want people to get saved. We don't want people to go to hell. We want people to go to heaven, right? That is the greatest need. That should be our greatest burden for the souls of the lost. And as we, as we help others and we are there to minister to others, we do so with the mindset of eventually having the opportunity to witness and share the gospel. To tell folks that they are sinners in need of a Savior. To tell people that Jesus died on a cross to pay for their sins so they could be forgiven, so they might receive the righteousness and the moral perfection of Jesus by faith in Him and trusting and surrendering to Him. Believing in the power of the resurrection and how that is available to us in Christ. The divine activity, the compassionate activity points towards the gospel. But also we see the compassionate authenticity of Jesus. In verse 34, He was not permitting the demons to speak and we are told this was because they knew who he was. We see something in the Gospels that theologians call the messianic secret, that Jesus is the Messiah, but he did not want people at that point in time going out broadcasting the fact he was the Messiah. Because their concept of what the Savior was come to do was not what Jesus, in fact, had come to do. It wasn't until after the cross and the resurrection that Jesus began to, to allow others to share he, is, he was the Messiah because they could, they could point to exactly what He came to do. To die on the cross to save people from their sins. But also in this, I found it interesting as Jesus would not allow the demons to speak because they knew who He was. He was the Son of God. He was the Holy One. And if Jesus was craving popularity, if he was merely seeking a large following, don't you think it would have been cool for him to cast out the demons, to have them shouting his name and pointing out who he was so that everybody around there could begin to prop him up and talk about how great he was. He was the Son of God, but he, he, re, he refused that. He merely wanted to meet the needs to do the miracles, to provide the opportunity to share the gospel. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus. His miracles always validated his message. So he was not in ministry for prideful purposes, and neither should we be. We should have an authentic compassion for people. Not just so that we could get them into our church and boost up our numbers, and things of that nature. We should be compassionate because people are hurting, and that's what Jesus did. He cared for them. So should we. Primarily concerned for their spiritual well-being. We've heard before, perhaps, even caregivers grow weary. We read about Jesus and his disciples in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. We see Jesus giving them some, uh, some wise counsel that you and I would do well to heed also, Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. 
Well, I would have been depressed with that. Not even have time to eat. But you see in this, Jesus sharing with his disciples the importance of, yeah, it is good to minister and serve others, but at some point you've got to pull out or else you're going to burn out. And if you are caring for others and you are helping others and you are serving others, at some point you will be ineffective in your role if you too eventually need care and help. And while it might not sound like the right thing to do, it might sound insensitive to say there are needs there, but I'm going to step away and rest. It's like, wow, is that selfish? No, it's biblical. It's what Jesus did. It's what he told his disciples to do. And that is the benefit that's available to you and I. We need to physically take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. The benefits of physical recuperation. But also we see the benefits of spiritual reconnection. We have here before us the example of Jesus in the Bible, there are other examples. Moses, there's an example of Paul. Individuals being alone and, and, and isolating themselves from others so that they can be closer to God, so that they can better hear the voice of God, so that they can spiritually recharge and reconnect with the Lord. Jesus does this with an intentional time of prayer. Not only in this occasion, but all through the Gospels. We see the evidence of Jesus pulling away, getting alone with the Father, spending time in prayer. What is prayer? First of all, it's a time of consecration to God. Consecration, the word means set apart uh, to God, to spend time with Him. We see Jesus rising early in the morning. It was still dark. They had brought people to Jesus after dark, and we see him arising while it's still dark. So he didn't have a lot of time for physical recuperation. That's part of what we need to do. But also we see Jesus understanding that he needed to be with the Father. Spiritually needed to reconnect and recharge. And that means being uh, alone with God, a time of consecration with the Father. And that reminds us of our dependence that we need the Lord to, to, to operate, maneuver through this life with any degree of success, to be effective in, in helping others and sharing the gospel, reaching people for Jesus. We need the power of God. We need the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that comes through no other avenue but by being alone with God in His Word and in prayer. There are no shortcuts to this. Being in ministry for almost two decades now, I've learned the ins and the outs in such a way that if I wanted to, I could coast. I could put things on autopilot, on cruise control, and just simply maintain and that's not what I want to do. And I know that's not what you want me to do. That's not what you want this church to do, is just to coast and just get by and just do what we got to do and move on to the next activity. No, we want to grow closer to the Lord. 
We want to we be uh, useful for God. We want to have the power of God flowing through our congregation and, and flowing out into our neighborhoods and to the nations. And the only way that happens is by spiritually reconnecting with God and concentrating on Him. That's what we see next, the time of concentration on God. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He was disciplined in this. He was probably exhausted and didn't want to get up, but he made himself get up because he knew that he depended on his Father. In his earthly ministry, Jesus, as the Son of God, needed to be with the Father. So too do we. Jesus got up and he left the house and he went away to a secluded place to be alone with God so we could concentrate on the Father. It's difficult for us to do sometimes to eliminate those distractions as, as convenient and useful as electronics and smartphones and things like that are. They can also become a hindrance. We as a culture have become so accustomed to noise that we almost cannot operate without it. Think about how often you will get inside your automobile and start the engine, and the first thing you do, if it isn't already on, is turn the radio on. You walk into a, a room, a bedroom at, at home, and you turn the television on. We are just so inundated with noise that when we don't have noise, it feels weird. You know, being alone with God and spending time with Him on my sabbatical at Clear Creek, it was, it was kind of odd, to be honest with you. In those times of isolation where nobody else was around, there was no television on, no, no radio on, and just me sitting there in silence with God, and it just seemed strange because we are so used to the noise. So what I would advocate for you to do in those moments you spend with God, turn the television off, radio off, put the, the smartphone in the next room because, you know, the, the notifications go off and you're curious, I wonder who that is, I wonder what they need, and you look at it and then 30 minutes later you're scrolling through Facebook looking at recipes. And you're like, oh, that's right, I'm supposed to be praying, what am I doing? You know, turn the phone off, put it in the next room, go somewhere else. Jesus went to a specific place at a specific time for a specific reason. I'm going to get along with the Father. I'm going to concentrate on Him. Because that's where, again, the power lies. Prayer is not only a time of consecration and a time of concentration. It's a time of communion. Of communion or communication. Just time with God. Time with the Father. We see Jesus in verse 35. He went away to a secluded place and was praying there. The language is not just a, a time of a, just a, a quick missile type of prayer, which those are biblical too. We are to pray without ceasing, mean, meaning we are to be in a, a constant attitude of, of, of prayer and communion with God. A, a direct line with God is always there at any moment that we think of things or are become aware of needs or just need His power, His presence. We can always pray at any second. But we see Jesus here laboring in extensive prayer. Praying, talking, listening to the Father. You know, prayer is a dialogue. It's not a monologue. 
You know, sometimes we just get in prayer, and again, we just feel like there needs to be noise. And if there's not external noise, we feel like in our minds we need to talk to God, and that's part of prayer. But at some point, we just need to shut up <laughs> and allow God to speak to us. And again, that sounds weird too. Okay, I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to pray anything. But part of prayer is listening to the voice of God. Sometimes God shouts, and it's obvious God is saying something to us. God's moving in such a way. Sometimes God whispers. And I think He does that so we would have to grow closer to Him to hear what He's saying. Away from the noise, concentrating on Him. Hopefully that GPS signal gets found and the person can find their way home. Hopefully we can all, and that's what prayer does, right? You know, prayer is a way for us to come back to where God needs us to be. It's a time of communion. It's a dialogue, a conversation with the God of the universe. Stop and think about that, you know. We just take prayer for granted, but there is this God who spoke everything into existence, created everything ex nihilo, the Latin term, out of nothing. There was nothing. God spoke, and there, there it was. And he breathed life into the nostrils of this man he had shaped out of clay, and he became a living being in the image of God. And he, and he, and he put in there uh, circulatory systems and respiratory systems and digestive systems and all these things that work inside the human body, and that God wants to hear from you. That God created suns and He created stars and He created planets and solar systems and, and this God makes everything rotate the way it's supposed to and this God wants to hear from you. This God created protons and electrons and neutrons and all those small uh, atomic particles that, 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 that form the building blocks of everything in existence and this God wants to hear from you. And he wants to speak to you. He's got something he wants to say to you. It's mind-blowing. This creator, this, re, this sustainer, this redeemer, this God wants to be your friend. He is your king, he is your lord, he is your master. We submit to his authority, yes, but scripture also identifies him as our friend. God referred to Abraham as his friend. Jesus said... Uh, no longer will I call you my servants, but I will call you my friends. In fact, First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, we are cast all of our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend to his followers. He loves you, and it sounds cliche. Jesus loves you. Yeah, I know. I heard that all my life. But stop and think about that for a minute. He loves you and wants to spend time with you. Why wouldn't you? I'm just too busy. Just too busy to pray. Jesus made time to pray. The old adage is too busy not to pray. I'm so busy, I need to pray, or else I'm not going to be able to accomplish everything that God has put on my plate. Spending time with Him. Perhaps you've heard the statistic recently, there's a growing number of empty nesters getting divorced. Growing old, but yet growing apart. Raising children together, and these children grow up and they move out, and then suddenly you look at your partner and you say, who are you? I don't even know you. I don't even recognize you. The fact is, people aren't spending enough time together. 
alone in deep conversation and meaningful conversation. And if it happens on a human level, a relational level, don't you think it could happen on a spiritual level too? Just not growing close to God. In fact, growing apart from Him. And the old saying, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? It wasn't God. He's always there. He's always been there. We drift. That's the human tendency. As a sinner, we drift from God. No one drifts towards God. Just casually, I'm just going to drift towards God. We don't do that. We're sinners. We drift away And so to grow closer to God, you've got to put in that time currency. There's no other way. In our world of shortcuts and and instant gratification, there is no shortcut to communion with God. You've just got to spend time. Got to spend time alone with Him. Rekindle the flame. As spouses need to do that, Friends need to do that. Christians need to do that with our Lord. Spend time with Him, rekindling that passion for Him and His service, which is the final point, the benefits of missional redirection. Redirection. Finding God's will. Something about being alone with Him in prayer reminds us of what it is we are called to do. And and sometimes we try to pick it apart and focus on the minutia of everything of God's little details in all of our lives and we forget the grand scheme of things God wants you to fulfill the great commission we are called to share the gospel we are called to reach the lost we are called to make disciples who then make disciples who then make disciples that is the mission of the believer. That's the mission of the church. And something about being alone with God helps to reignite that and re-energize that, refocus that, redirect that to know exactly what the will of God is and how we are to accomplish it. We are to retreat not just for the purpose of retreating, but separation is for service. That's why I tried to emphasize to you all the benefit of me taking these four weeks away. It was not just to benefit me, but the, in the grand scheme of things, the hope and the prayer is that as I was re-energized, so too you would be as I began to pour into you what God had poured into me. There are benefits to this separation for the Lord's service We reconnect with God so that we can resume our service for God. We do this, as spoke about the Great Commission. We see in this text here, Jesus fulfilling the Great Commission that he then gives us to fulfill. We see the Lord's presence with us. Remember in the end of the Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we call that the Great Commission. Jesus ends with, Lo, I am with you always. As a believer, the Holy Spirit resides within you and, the, and God is with you wherever you go. Christ is with you wherever you go. But in this text, it says that Jesus was praying and Simon, verse 36, his companions searched for him. They couldn't find him. They're like, where's Jesus? I don't know. We need to find Jesus. And they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. 
As a Christian, He is always with us. We don't have to go searching. We don't have to go looking. Jesus is right there. He is right there to remind us exactly what it is we need to be doing. What should be our priority in life as a Christian? Doing His will, sharing the gospel, loving others so that we can help connect them to the God who loves them. And it's interesting, as, as Jesus was having great success, he pulls away, he retreats to spend time with the Father. The disciples wake up and they're like, where's Jesus? We've got to get him back. We gotta, there are a lot of crowds here. We need to keep this momentum going. We need to keep growing this thing, right? It's funny how they thought they knew what was best for Jesus. And sometimes people well-meaning will do that for us. Sometimes people will try to play the Holy Spirit to you and I and tell us exactly what they think God is telling us to do. And sometimes wise counsel is good. I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to what anyone else is saying to you. But primarily you need to be listening to the voice of God. Ultimately it is His view and His opinion that is all that matters. The disciples wanted to get Jesus back so that the crowds would continue to grow. So not only is the Lord's presence with us in prayer and in retreat, the Lord's purpose for us is reminded to us. Everyone's looking for you. The, 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 the idea, the implication there is that we need to get you back to this particular group of people. And he said to them, verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby. And they were probably like, what? What are you talking about? You're so popular. You're so effective here. It's obvious that God is working and you're going to suddenly say you need to go somewhere else. Why would Jesus do this? He says, for. He says, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. The Father was reminding Jesus that there was still work to do and He was not sent to earth just to help people. The people that were showing up there, they wanted to be helped. But did they want to be saved? It's not always the same thing. And so He, he did not come to earth to be served. Mark ten forty five. He came to earth to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The purpose of Jesus was to come and preach the gospel and then fulfill the gospel on the cross through the resurrection so that through faith in him and that gospel, people would be saved. The work was not done. He needed to go and preach because that was what God called him to do. And that's what God has called us to do. You might not be called to vocational ministry to stand behind a pulpit and preach, but you are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we retreat and when we are recharged, then we are to re-engage and continue on in the ministry stronger than when we left. If we just retreat just for ourselves and come back and don't re-engage, then we're missing the purpose of God. Jesus understood the Father's purpose. It was to advance the kingdom of God. He was determined to advance the kingdom of God. So too, you and I need to be. So as we retreat, we recharge, we reconnect, we need to re-engage 
reorient ourselves, redirect ourselves, follow the will of God, the voice of God, and do what He's calling us to do. And as we do this, we see the benefit finally in verse 39. The Lord's power is in us. His power is in us. He went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee. He was not contained to that one spot where he was popular, but he went to wherever he needed to go, wherever the Father sent him, preaching and casting out demons. He was sharing the message. He was doing the miracles. The miracles were validating the message. He came to preach the good news. He came to die on the cross to fulfill that good news. And as you and I spend time alone with God daily, we receive more power to do what it is God's calling us to do. And as we spend extended time, special times alone with God, as we retreat, we gain even more power to do what God is calling us to do. That was my prayer from the very beginning in this. God, I know what I'm called to do. I know where I'm called to be. And I know what needs to be done. Your kingdom needs to advance. The word needs to be preached. People need to be loved on so that they can see the love of God and be drawn to him. God, I pray that when I'm done with this four-week sabbatical, I will have more power to do what you are calling me to do. That should be our prayer daily. That the Holy Spirit would work through us sharing the gospel and living the gospel so people could be saved. We're talking about miracles. Jesus is doing miracles. There's no greater miracle than a person's salvation. No greater miracle than a person who was dead being brought to life spiritually. The one who was lost being found, one who was blind becoming, becoming a person who can see. No greater miracle. And as Jesus performed miracles preaching the gospel, so too when you share the good news and people get saved, that is a miracle that validates, oh, that message is true. The Lord's power is there. Holy Spirit works in us, through us, to save souls, to sanctify souls see people becoming more like Jesus. And so I pray as we look at this example of Christ, we will realize the importance of getting away periodically to spend extended time alone with God. Jesus benefited from this. I pray that I will have benefited from my sabbatical. And I pray each and every one of us, as we spend time alone with God daily, sometimes more than that, that we will benefit. But something interesting about all of this as my time of sabbatical came to a conclusion. Something interesting about that and something interesting about this text finally clicked. We read here that Jesus went away to a secluded place to pray. Earlier in the chapter, we read about Jesus beginning his ministry Verse 12, the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. Same word. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Something I was completely unaware of, and I should have been, kind of hard-headed sometimes, I should have known this was going to happen, the degree of spiritual warfare 
that was going to be thrown at me those four weeks I had all of these intentions and ideas that all I had to do was just take a sabbatical and take a retreat and just spend time with God and and everything was just going to coast and everything was just going to move forward and there were going to be no hiccups because this was for the glory of God but as Jesus spent time alone in the wilderness he waged warfare with Satan And throughout those four weeks, Satan came at me hard. And all of the buttons that I have, he pushed them. Every single one of them. As I could think through my life and do an inventory of myself and all the buttons I have. And by the way, you've got buttons too. Your buttons may not be the same as mine. But Satan is a master psychologist. He's been around humanity from the very beginning of humanity. And all the buttons that I got, he pushed them. Even some maybe I didn't even know I had, he was pushing them. And I was just like, you know, emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually. And to be completely honest with you, coming into camp last week, I was so not ready for that. I just thought, man, we'll finish sabbatical and we're rolling to camp. We're just going to plow right through it. We're just going to push through and and when I got there Monday I was not prepared for what I needed to do just because of the warfare and the fighting I was engaged in with Satan so I want you to understand this the more time you spend alone with God the more power and energy you will have for service the more pushback from hell you will have Satan didn't want your pastor growing in his devotion and his power for ministry. Of course Satan didn't want that. Why didn't I think of that? Satan doesn't want this church to benefit from their pastor being on sabbatical and growing closer to God. He wants to interrupt all of that. He wants to discourage all of this. But I knew you were praying for me. I knew that. And at the times I would feel like, you know, the battle was waging and I was losing, I knew my church was praying for me. And I would persevere. And I would press on. And God would bless. And we'd move through that. We'd get on to the next thing. And as it began to grow, there would be more spiritual attack. And your prayers sustained me. And when we retreat for the glory of God... We are retreating not to some spiritual spa. We are retreating into the battlefield. While we disengage one front, we re-engage a completely different front that needs to be addressed. But understand that as you do this, there will be pushback. The closer you grow to God, the more available you are to Him, the more Satan will despise that and the more he'll come at you. It's just the truth. But greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. We are more than conquerors in Christ.
My final point is this. The still moments that we bring, the still moments that we spend with God bring spiritual maturity. You want to grow in your faith? You want to grow in your usefulness to God? You want to grow closer to God? You've got to spend time with Him. There's no other way. And in those still moments, spiritual maturity is produced. Break through so that you will experience your breakthrough. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You.